Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you guys so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. It has been a while. I don't know what episode we are on. I do know it's the first one of the year. It's been about a month since I recorded. I didn't know what I want to do with the podcast, and I still don't. All I know is I wanted to make some small videos about a couple different subjects today. I was like, well, fuck, why don't I just do it all on a podcast? I feel bad putting all this time into something and then just completely letting it fall by the wayside. But if I'm not feeling it, if I'm not in the mood to record something, then really, why would I do that? So, But before we get started, a lot of cool shit going on. If you're into horror, Untold Mayhem is free this weekend, I think, until Monday on Amazon. And then we have uh, 25 Perfect Days, 99 cents in the U.S. and U.K. I don't know about any other sales. Next week, this motherfucker is on sale. This thing is awesome. The Devil's Playlist, Death Fest Confessions. Really love this book. Proud of this book. I couldn't be happier with what these authors did. And especially in such a short amount of time. We put out a pretty badass collection of 15 short horror stories. Four of them are extreme. There's a wide range, a good variety of stories. If you're into horror, if you're into heavy metal, I think you will definitely dig it. You don't have to read Try Not to Die at Death Fest first, although it does give the book a whole another level. So, and you could do one first, then the other, whatever, or neither. If you're that kind of person, maybe you don't like metal. Maybe you don't like me. Maybe you don't like my writing. Maybe that's all good. Fuck, we all got our own preferences, right? I never get upset when someone doesn't like my stuff, someone doesn't like my personality, whatever. Fucking just not a good fit. So why waste your time getting upset about shit like that that you cannot control? I think the last one was right before Christmas. So yeah, Christmas was cool. New Year's Eve is pretty boring. Although the day before, on the 30th, December 30th, we had a holiday party over here for 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu for the whole team. A lot of people showed up. I, I was in our pool the entire time. We heated it for this one special occasion. And uh, yeah, had a lot of fun. So that was really cool. That week, well, jiu-jitsu was mainly open mats. There was no classes. I wasn't sure what this new year was going to be like, but I made a commitment to do five mornings a week. So right now I'm doing Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. I love it. Coach Wes, Coach Art. And that is with me being in a ton of pain. I'm not sure what I did, but I fucked up my hand pretty bad. I don't know. It's been a while. For sure. I know two weeks ago it got a lot better when I went to the acupuncturist, but still it's incredibly painful. I start each workout knowing that the first five to ten minutes of class are going to like it just sucks. It just fucking is gonna hurt. But there might be some sharp bouts of pain during the training, especially if someone grabs my hand. But I've realized, yeah, even with that, with the pain in my hips, with my knee aching and all that stuff, it's still worth it. It's still a positive, it still adds to my day. And so, yeah, I can deal with some pain during it. I can deal with pain after. Overall, you know, I'm feeling good. My weight's on point. And I always, when I come home, lots of times I'll think about, okay, what did I get from today? Did I, what did I get from today? At the start of class, I was a little uncomfortable because coach said we were going to be doing wrestling up. I don't care for that. I don't know. I don't trust my leg. I'm there's Like I can't sit up with my right knee without using my hand to post. There are certain things I can't do because of my knee problem. So I wasn't sure how it was going to be. Even hopping on one leg, I was like, oh, that's kind of iffy for me, a little sketchy. So I wasn't sure how it was going to be. Luckily, I had a really good partner. Started out slow, 
built up, Coach Art showed a variation. So I was able to do the move on my left side, my strong side. My right side, because of my knee issue, I couldn't do that. But he showed another variation. So now I was like, okay, yeah, I could do that move that side. I could do this variation on this side. And so that was pretty cool. Also learned a really cool, a nice and safe takedown from the back. That was awesome. I lost five and a half pounds of sweat. Like, no joke. I weighed myself in the morning. I was 210 point something. I forget. And then, uh, yeah, five and a half pounds or almost five and a half pounds, 5.5 pounds lighter when I got home after an hour and a half of training jujitsu with the heat on. But it was an awesome workout. A lot of fun. Enjoyed it. Learned a lot. Thought that was really cool. When I was there, coach pointed out the whiteboard. Our head coach, Coach Mike, is trying to get a lot of people to compete in this event coming up in February. I had been considering it, but I told my wife, I was like, well, one, my hand fucking really hurts. Every day it hurts. I was like, it's not ideal going into a competition with an injury. But again, this isn't that big of one. More importantly than that, though, I was like, I don't want any extra pressure. I don't want any extra stress. The thought of competing could be stressful. Like right now, I'm enjoying jiu-jitsu too much. I'm enjoying going. I realized, you know, I definitely like the morning classes compared to the night classes. I have fun. I feel better. So I want to keep it up like that and not worry about like, okay, I got to train harder because I got competition coming up and I'm going to lose. And like, so I didn't want that, but the coach had the list of all the names of people that are already competing. Then the ones that he was suggesting compete and my wife and I were on there and I knew my wife wanted to compete. She would feel a lot better if I competed. If I feel more like a man, if I compete, otherwise she's calling me a little bitch. I got to live with that. Damn it. She wouldn't do that, but she might be thinking it. So, and I would for sure be thinking it. So I am going to go have fun. I will compete. There is no one in my weight or, well, there's no one in my age range, which is over 50, but my weight, there is no one in, I don't think any 40 year olds. I think so. I have to drop down to probably 35. If no one else signs up for the match, I'll drop down to 35 year olds, but that's what I'm usually working out with in the gym, not higher belts really although there are some and so why not just test myself why not have fun why not be part of the team so that is what i'm going to do another cool thing that has developed over the last couple of weeks is uh, my family and i decided we are definitely going to be going to europe for this summer for two weeks my friend marika i met her on the child of the library podcast a long time ago she's been on here a couple of times her and her husband uh, misha have been out to our house i think twice uh, I've been to theirs in Germany. Just have a really cool friendship. My kids love them. My wife loves them. They offered to help uh, set up a trip for Europe. And they said, you know, either they could help set it up for us or, you know, maybe we could do it together. And uh, I wasn't sure what my wife wanted, but she's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, let's do it with them. We'll uh, have a lot of fun. So Misha and Marika are planning this entire trip. It sounds like it's going to be amazing. We're spending a very short amount of time in Germany. But we will be driving down to Italy, spending the majority of the time in northern Italy. I think that should be really cool. It's one of the reasons why I started picking up Italian again, trying to learn that language. I still probably spend a little bit more time with German than I do Italian, and it's not a lot. So it's not like I'm going to be, you know, fluent at either of these languages anytime soon. But I enjoy spending time doing something like that. And the reason I do it on my phone is because I was talking to my daughter about this this morning. I was like, the reason I have Duolingo on my phone is because I know I'm addicted to my phone. And when I pick it up, why not do something positive? You know, I'm going to be working my brain. It doesn't matter what it is, uh, language, or I've been picking up guitar again. 
that's also another good thing. It's like that's a good use of my time instead of just scrolling through social media or news or whatever, getting more upset. So that's what I've been working on doing that. I've been much happier. I've been, yeah, overall just been feeling really good. Oh, another really cool thing I forgot to mention with Jiu-Jitsu. Maybe I talked about it on here before. I can't remember how long we've had the rash guards, but the trend of today rash guards are in. They're awesome. I love the way they look. Uh, the first order already sold out. I had to put in another order. I hadn't intended on really selling them. Uh, people are enjoying them. I, I don't know how many people at my gym already have them. It's just super cool to see all my friends wearing them. I got black belts across the country, a couple of UFC fighters. So pretty fucking cool. Uh, and what great marketing, right? Because everyone that sees is like, what's trying not to die? Why do you have trying not to die across your chest? So that leads to some really cool conversations. I appreciate everyone that's rocking one of those. All right, guys, I'm going to get out of here. First, I need to leave you with a story. I figure since Untold Mayhem is free right now on Amazon, I think it's through the 21st. I don't even know what day it is. Don't just check it out. If it's free, get it. If it's not free, definitely get it. No, you don't have to spend your hard-earned money on me. Or do you? Um, well, I'm not sure what story. Actually, you know what? Let's go with Marked. That was one of the first, I think that was my first short story, professional short story sell uh, in, in an anthology called Thou Shall Not, edited by Lee Howard Allen. Uh, he recently just passed. That book meant a ton to me because, yeah, it was my first sell. It was my first time someone was like, okay, yeah, this is good enough to, for me to purchase it. So, and now that with Death Desk Confessions, I've been able to do that for a couple of young authors. It's such a cool feeling. Hopefully Lee knew how much it helped me, how much it affected me. Uh, but yeah, so here is that story that he first published, my first professional sell. It's changed a little bit. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it. This is Marked, later. Marked. Olson was too good to be true. The old man hadn't learned his lesson. He still flaunted his wealth, kept the exact same routines, and never watched his back. It was like the fat slob wanted to get robbed again. When Nick first got out of the joint, he'd promised himself he'd never do this sort of thing again. But Olson was the perfect victim, and the money was too good. 300000 would solve a lot of problems. It'd also make up a little for the time locked up. Hell, a payday like that would equal close to 50000 for each of his seven years in the pen. Nick turned the page of the newspaper and sneaked another glance at the jewelry store directly across from the mall's food court. From his seat outside of the McDonald's Express, he could keep a close eye on the old man while looking like any other fool reading the help-wanted ads. Not that he would ever lower himself to take one of those jobs. Just for the hell of it, he ran through the list. The only positions he qualified for were below him, and the other 90% of the jobs wouldn't be worth taking, even if the manager had no hang-up about hiring an uneducated ex-con. Who wants to wear a monkey suit and take orders from some college dork just to make 30000 a year? To hell with that. It was nearing 7 o'clock, and Suzanne, his inside, was pleasantly escorting the last couple out of the jewelry store. Before she headed back in, Suzanne made eye contact with Nick and gave him a discreet thumbs up. He set down his paper to acknowledge her, and she flashed four fingers. This was going to be sweeter than he had imagined. Olsen was taking home more work than usual. 
Nick grabbed his coffee and headed for the exit. Olsen wouldn't be done closing up shop for another half hour, but Nick was too excited to stay still. Four hundred thousand. A hundred thousand for each of the months he'd been out on parole, unable to find a decent job. Olsen's car wasn't in its spot. The black BMW had been there when Nick arrived two hours before, and it should still be there. Olsen hadn't left his sight for more than five minutes. No way he could have come out and moved it. Nick was tempted to race back inside to find Suzanne, but that would be foolish. It wouldn't look good for a tattooed thug to be seen with her. Someone might get the wrong idea and put things together, especially if he went ahead with the robbery. He couldn't bring her into it. Not because he liked her, but because he didn't trust her. Just like everyone else on the planet, if it was her ass or his, she would sell him out in a second. Just like the backstabbing bastard that had put him away in the first place. Not sure what to do, Nick did a 180 and headed for his beater Ford. He felt like a fool when he spotted Olsen's 745i in the next row, wedged between two SUVs. He had to get a grip if he was going to pull this thing off. How could he not know where the car was parked? He was acting like a damn fish straight out of the tank. Easing into his lowered front seat, Nick concentrated on the BMW's driver door, rationalizing away his fear. He had nothing to worry about. Olsen was an easy target. He'd been an easy target for Bear and hadn't changed his ways since. Bear. Now that was an untrustworthy son of a bitch. After sharing a six-by-eight concrete cell for two years, you'd think you'd get to know someone. They'd sworn allegiance to each other, become blood brothers, beaten down punks together. All that, and Bear still ditched him when it counted. Three months ago, Bear had called Nick to tell him about this mark. They were supposed to do it together and split the profit, but Bear must have got greedy because after a week of staking out and planning with Nick, he went ahead and did it on his own. The only decent thing Bear did was give Suzanne Nick's name and number so she could call him a week later and tell him that Bear had taken her boss for close to 200000 The good news was that the plan had worked and the old man continued his reckless ways. The bad news was Bear split town without saying a word, which seemed pretty risky considering he was on paper for the next three years. Probably went to Mexico where he wouldn't have to worry about some parole officer making house calls. Nick knew all about that headache. As far as pigs went, his P.O. was pretty cool, but the guy was still a pain in the ass. He'd held Nick's parole papers over his head, constantly reminding him that the smallest screw-up would send him back in to finish his last two years. And the home invasion he had planned would earn him more than a slap on the wrist, most likely an additional five to ten on top of the two. The one thing Nick knew was he would never go back. He considered calling the whole thing off. Maybe it wasn't worth the risk. Nick had missed the first seven years of his only son's childhood, precious years he would never get back. In the past four months, he'd seen glimpses of the father he could be if he only stayed out of prison. How could he risk missing another seven? Nicky deserved better than that. Then again, getting a crappy minimum wage job wasn't much of an option either. What kind of role model would he be if he could barely afford to take his son out for a happy meal? He needed money, and he needed it now. He would just have to be extra careful. The dashboard clock read 740. 
Olsen was already ten minutes late. Instead of getting worked up about the delay, Nick counted his blessings. The sun had set, and it would be difficult for the old man to spot him. Nick didn't have to wait much longer. Without checking his surroundings, Olsen unlocked his beamer and slid his leather overcoat across the back seat. After stroking his bushy gray goatee, he plopped into the driver's seat, tossing his briefcase onto the passenger side. Just the sight of the treasured briefcase made Nick's imagination run wild. There was no question whether or not he would do this. The man was an easy target with a huge payoff. What more could he ask for? Not worried if he lost Olsen for a moment or two, Nick gave him a few seconds head start. He knew the route Olsen would take and that he wouldn't deviate from it. All that mattered was that Nick arrived at the house just before the fat man pulled in. Nick was stopped three cars behind Olsen's when they reached the traffic signal marking the halfway point. After slipping on his black leather gloves, Nick checked the glove box and pulled out his gun. The thirty-eight wasn't in the best condition, and possession of it would land him back in the pen. But the reassuring feel of the hard metal gave him the confidence he needed right now. For this kind of job, he really should have a partner, but he couldn't risk trusting anyone. He'd made that mistake with Bear, and he wasn't going to make it again. And if that idiot had been able to do this on his own, then there was no reason Nick couldn't pull it off. As expected, Olsen drove two blocks down and pulled into the McDonald's drive-thru. Nick knew the slob would order three Big Macs, two large fries, a large strawberry shake, an apple pie, and a caramel sundae. And judging by the cars ahead of Olsen, it would take six to eight minutes for him to get his food and re-enter traffic. Plenty of time for Nick to get to the house. Olsen's sparsely populated neighborhood was beautiful, the type of place Nick could never afford. He hoped he wouldn't have to use the gun. He didn't want to hurt, let alone kill, anyone. It wasn't his style. But prison had taught him an important lesson in life. Sometimes you have to be violent to survive. If it came down to him or Olsen, he wouldn't hesitate to pull the trigger. The original plan had called for Bear to hide in the garage and have Nick tail the beamer. Once it pulled into the garage, Nick would block Olsen in. Now that he was flying solo, he would have to improvise. If he tried driving in behind the beamer, Olsen would be sure to spot him and could easily close the garage door before Nick could slip inside. If Nick hid in the garage, he'd have to worry about Olsen driving away if he smelled something fishy. And that was if he could even get inside the garage. Suzanne said the code still worked, but who knew how accurate that info was? Nick pulled onto Olsen's street, passed the house, made a U-turn, and parked directly across from the driveway that divided the eight-foot-high walls surrounding the property. With about five minutes left to get into position, Nick tucked the pistol into the waistband of his jeans and eased out of the car. Acting as if he had business being there, he sauntered across the street and entered Olsen's lushly landscaped property. The house was to his right, and directly before him was the attached three-car garage. He slid open a small remote on the wall and punched in Suzanne's code, praying it would work. The door rumbled open, and before it had risen halfway, Nick had already slipped inside, knocked loose the automatic light, and hit the switch that lowered the door. Nick crouched in the corner and waited for his eyes to adjust to the darkness. When he heard a car pull into the driveway, Nick backed against the side wall and ducked behind some barrels. 
He remembered to slip on his black ski mask just as the garage door began to rise. The piercing headlights illuminated the garage, allowing Nick to see he was hiding behind two plastic trash cans. Nick peered through the crack between the cans and saw the tail end of the BMW pulling in. He also noticed the electric gate sliding shut. In all the days he had staked out the house, with Bear and without him, he had never once seen the gate close. He hadn't even realized there was a gate, but thinking back, he did remember walking across its track. Why Olson decided to close it now was beyond him, but Nick guessed it was a good thing. Sure, he'd have to jump over it when he left, but this made the house much more secure and isolated from the outside. Now, he needn't worry about some good Samaritan spotting him and calling the cops. The car's engine and headlights turned off. Nick pulled out the thirty-eight and gathered his nerves as the garage door closed. Now was the most important moment. No more hiding, no more waiting. Olsen seemed to be taking a long time getting out of the car, and Nick wondered if he might be on his cell phone. If Olsen got out of the car and was still on the phone, Nick was screwed. Five seconds ticked away before the car door creaked open. Nick strained his ears but couldn't hear anything. Although Olsen wasn't talking, he could be listening to someone on the phone. The fat man's dress shoes clicked onto the cold concrete and the door slammed shut. Still no talking. Nick had to act. If the old man was on the phone, he'd signal for him to turn it off. And if the guy tried something squirrely, Nick would deal with him, snag that briefcase, and run like hell. Before Olsen took another step, Nick popped up. He had worried for nothing. The briefcase was in his hand, but no phone. Nick aimed the gun at Olsen's head. Hold it right there. The guy didn't even flinch. He slowly turned to face Nick, the beamer between them. Olsen was smiling. Hold it right there, Nick repeated. I heard you the first time. If the car hadn't been in the way, Nick would have slapped the smug bastard. Put the briefcase on the hood and slide it over. But the paint, surely you wouldn't want me to scratch it. Are you serious? Put the goddamn briefcase on the car. Calm down, son. You don't want to use that. I will. No, you won't. Yes, I will. A soft voice sounded from the opposite corner, startling Nick. Not if you want to live. Without taking the gun off Olsen, Nick glanced to his right. Dressed in black, barely recognizable in the dark, Suzanne crouched behind Olsen's other car, a pistol pointed at Nick's head. Nick was so frustrated and upset he could barely speak. What the hell are you doing? What does it look like? Put the gun down. Now why would she want to do that? Olsen asked. Nick turned his attention back to Olsen. His smile was maddening. I'll shoot you. No, you won't, Nicholas. You'll drop your gun and acknowledge that you made a very bad mistake coming here. Nick turned his gun on Suzanne. Olsen whipped out a huge revolver and trained it on Nick. Nick moved the gun from Olsen to Suzanne and back again. What is this crap? You were helping me. What happened? Did he find out? Make you do this? Are you really that stupid? She stood and walked around the trunk of the jag. Not even Bear was that stupid. Now put down your gun. 
do as she says. Shooting you will give me little pleasure, not to mention it will make quite a mess, which I really have no interest in cleaning. Nick couldn't speak, but he continued moving the gun from one target to the other. Really, Nick? Suzanne said, walking over to Olsen with her gun lowered. Put it down. You really think I'd give you a working gun? When Bear had given it to Nick, he'd hidden it away, automatically assuming it functioned. He never once thought about trying it, and it wasn't as if he could take it to the firing range. Nick continued to aim at Olsen. I'll put mine down when he puts his down. Now that's not very smart, Nicholas. Quit calling me that, you fat bastard. That's not very nice. Set the gun down, and while you're at it, why don't you take off your mask and get comfortable? Suzanne switched on the garage's light and slid her slight frame against Olsen, a man twice her age and three times her weight. Okay, this is getting very tedious, Olsen said, switching guns with Suzanne. If you insist on forcing me to shoot you, I'd better use this one. Nick aimed at the side of Olsen's round head and pulled the trigger. He pulled it again, and again. Nothing. Now will you put it down? Olsen raised the silenced pistol. I really didn't invite you here just to shoot you. Nick dropped the worthless gun and pulled off his mask, recognizing defeat. Let me go. I didn't do anything. This is entrapment. Suzanne smiled as she ran her hand over Olsen's belly. We're not cops, so entrapment doesn't mean all that much to us. If you'd like to call the police and tell them about it, I'd be more than happy to let you use my phone. Suzanne held out her cell. I'm sure they'd agree with you and lock us up. They wouldn't question why you were on another man's property without his permission. They also wouldn't wonder what an ex-felon is doing with a firearm. Nick shook his head at the phone and asked them what they wanted. We merely desire your presence, Olsen said, and we didn't think you'd accept our request. But why? What do you want? To show you something. Come with us. Go ahead, Nicholas. Follow Suzanne. With no option but to do as he was told, Nick trailed Suzanne through the laundry room and into the kitchen. He considered trying to grab her and use her as a shield, but he could feel Olsen's gun pressing against his back. You still haven't told me why. Nick watched Suzanne's hips switching back and forth as she led them down a long hallway. I didn't do anything to you. I don't even know you. Nicholas, my boy, you are really in no position to demand an explanation, Olsen said. But I am feeling generous. The truth is that I'm a big reality TV buff. Problem is the quality of the shows they give us. Olsen urged Nick into the room Suzanne had entered. Go ahead. From the looks of it, Olsen had his own little movie studio. Nick counted over twenty screens and a wall full of recording equipment in the room. The mindless programs they call entertainment are insulting to my intelligence. Shows about love, infatuation, infidelity, sex. Shows about cliques, pacts, alliances, betrayals. Garbage. All garbage. Suzanne had a switch that blanked out all the screens. So what's your brilliant idea? Nick asked. What do you have that Hollywood hasn't thought of? A glimpse into man's true spirit. What do I have to do? 
spend the next three months in my guest room. Olson pointed at the metal door Suzanne stood next to. What's the catch? There is none. And if I refuse? What do you think the gun's for, Nicholas? Nick searched their faces for some clue. He knew there was more to the story, but he didn't really have an option. Three months? And then you just let me go? No cops? You have my word. Now, if you would be so kind as to give Suzanne your car keys, we'll park your car in the garage so you don't get towed. How thoughtful. Nick threw his keys at Suzanne. Now, now, Nicholas, be a sport. Nick wouldn't look at him. That's fine. I've had enough of your uncivil company. Olson motioned toward the door. Go ahead, Suze. The door swung open, revealing a long corridor with another metal door at the end of it. Nick walked the hallway, the door slamming shut behind him. When he came to the far end of the hallway, he said, And how exactly am I supposed to get in? A loud click answered his question. Nick pushed the unlocked door open and stepped into the dark chamber. The second he was clear of the door, it slammed shut behind him, the lock snapping back into place. Assuming the cameras were equipped with audio, Nick said, So you're going to see if I'm scared of the dark. Afraid not, big guy. You'll have to do better than that. The lights turned on, momentarily blinding him. Nick squinted and saw he was inside a rather large but otherwise ordinary guest room. There was no dungeon master with whips and chains, no rabid dog, no bed of roaches. Just a large, windowless room with a cot against one wall, a couch across from it, and a toilet and sink in the far corner. If Olsen got his jollies watching grown men taking a crap on camera, then maybe this wasn't going to be as bad as Nick thought. A low moan came from the couch. There was someone sitting there looking at him. The unclothed man rose to his feet, his emaciated body tottering on spindly legs. Over a loudspeaker, Olsen said, You're not being very polite, Nicholas. You could at least say hello. Didn't know I was getting a roommate. I thought you'd be happy. You haven't seen each other in quite some time. The poor bastard with his protruding ribs and bloated stomach couldn't weigh more than a hundred pounds. Surely no one Nick knew. True, he looks a little worse for wear, but that's no reason to ignore him. The bearded man inched closer. He held something shiny in his hand. His bony right hand with the shamrock and swastika tattooed across it. The exact same tattoo Nick had spent hours working on between count times. I know Bear is happy to see you. He hasn't had a thing to eat in over, what is it, seven days? And that doesn't include the eighty days prior in which he was given a mere thousand calories. Eighty-seven days. A couple shy of Olsen's deadline. Stop right there, Nick ordered his old cellmate. Bear didn't stop. Only five feet separated them. He pointed the knife at Nick's chest. What's it going to be, fellows? Who's going to make it to see tomorrow? Bear, you win and you'll finally get to eat, and in a few days have your freedom. Nicholas, if you're the victor, you'll have three months to wonder who your final meal will be. Have at it, boys. 
tape is rolling.